Scratchcast, Mick Sueda here with my good bud Craig Pappy. Mick, how are you? I'm really well, thanks. I didn't see you on the ice this morning. Uh, I was going to ask you how the skate was. Skate was good. I drank your beer again. Nice. You know what? I don't think it's going to happen for me because Sundays are just those days of rest and sleeping in. I know, but you get up, you skate, you sweat, come back home, have a nice breakfast. Lay on the couch, relax. It makes for a beautiful day. I'm and that you. sounds that sounds good. That's yeah. your thing. Here's it my is. thing. And this goes back to when I first started skating again. I mean, I told you before I took the 80s off entirely. A buddy of mine said, hey, man, Fred Curry, a bunch of guys, a bunch of actors and stuff are skating up in North Hollywood. And so those skates would normally start like after they closed, like sometimes 1130, sometimes 12. For example, when the earthquake hit in 1994, it hit at like four in the morning or something like that. I had just gotten out of the shower. I was sitting on my couch, fresh oh, from a skate. You know, that just gives you an idea of when I'm on Was that skating. at the rink in that mall that was yeah. right over? Mm-hmm. I forgot the name of yeah, it. Yeah, over in, in the, the mall there. But. Yeah, you could literally go through the mall, right. look through the window, watch people skating around. Right. And it's a smaller-sized rink. It's not full-size right. by any stretch. I remember that. I skated there a couple times, but um, that's when I just started skating as well. Yeah. Back, or but I, skating I just, again, I should say. I'm trying to think of the guy's name. Really nice guy, but he sort of had a little edge to him. I think we probably... Gave him some money, you know, just to keep it open. And he would skate with us once in a while. But it used to be, it was Mac Aston, his brother, who was in the Hobbit movies. Used to come out, Sean, Sean Aston. He used to come out once in a while. Scotty Grimes, who was in that cool show, Band of Brothers. Right. And a bunch of other people I didn't really know that well. I don't think I ever saw Fred come out. Does Fred skate? I was just going to ask you that. You mentioned his name. He does skate. And like I said, I thought he was going to be there, which is why I went out in the first place. I probably told you before, too, that first skate. I, for whatever reason, my whole life, I always lugged my gear around, my ancient gear from when I was a right. kid, my laying skates and, and my Cooper like mouthpiece that looked like you know a cup. I still had it for whatever reason. And so I pull my old army bag out there, and I'm busting out my stuff, and I can't imagine what those kids are, you know, they're like, oh. Who's <laughs> the old guy? Was, yeah, the old, with the, the golden seal Cooper <laughs> right. gloves, you know. All the way up to your elbow. Uh, totally. Did you wear the Cooper helmet, too? The bucket? The uh, Cooper bucket? I had... The Cooper bucket helmet mm. and, uh, you know, the elbow pads were so old. They were just like cracking, and, yeah. but but so small. I mean, there were, you know, no, no plastic in them at right. all. All just leather, like, complete yeah. leather. Yeah. yeah. So by the end of the skate, you know, I'm sweating and my helmet is the inside of it. It's just completely disintegrating and there's white crap all <laughs> over my face. I, I thought, okay. Next day I went out and spent 800 bucks and bought a whole new kit, right. you know, but it was, uh, it was a fun skate. That's what it is for me. I just like to go late at night. Right. And well... Sleep. You know, if you ever change your mind, we're on the ice. Well, I'm not used to being the slowest guy out there. You guys are all oh, like screaming. There. I'm oh. the slowest out there, so stand behind me and I'll cough up the puck and then you can skate it up. I'll just hook you and get a get a pull. <laughs> Cooler was out. Coolier came. Oh, okay. Today. And the regular cast of characters, but it was fun. Good sweat. I remember uh, one of the celebrity games I played in. My, It's like a crowning achievement. I mean, we all remember our, our favorite goals, which I right. want to get into too. But I'll never forget. I've got the puck. I'm playing. I'm playing a wing, so I'm in the D zone. I don't even know why, but I've got it, and I'm, I see Chris Chelios over on the far wing, and I'm going to hit him right. So I fling it. And it goes in the air, and I'm thinking, how can anybody? Pavel knocks it out of the air, puts it on the ice, just screams by me, goes in on man on Riom, oh. and scores. And I'm just going like, 
I feel like a total jerk, but that was fucking awesome. Right. Did you get a helper? I would hope so. so. <laughs> I would hope so. So that's my crowning achievement. But do you remember, like, do you have your five favorite goals uh, you've scored? I'm a defenseman. I don't know if I have five goals. Well, but, that was um, quick. Nothing really spectacular comes to mind. I remember a couple nice slap shots yeah. uh, during juniors that um, went through the crowd and nice. back when I can shoot uh, <laughs> back in those days. But, um, you know, I'd like to say there was some sort of crazy breakout and skated up the ice but yeah that never really happened but i did get a couple nice slap shot goals but nice and maybe a tip in on accident went off my head or something like that that was one of mine so. somebody <laughs> shot a nice low one from the point i just happened to be standing with my stick and it just deflected yeah. up and in i thought yeah that's yeah it looked good right looked yeah. like you meant it to go in so yeah and then another one of my favorites is i this big d guy i was at the top of the circle coming in on the guy and he was i couldn't even see the net couldn't even see it but I just took a wrister, got it by him, and all I heard was ding. Oh. And then I saw the guy do this, and I was like, "Wow, I did that just you? now!" Oh wow! Yeah, so that's it's always, in me. That's always nice when it rings off the crossbar. And then, uh, do you have a signature uh, breakaway move? No, no, I don't. I don't have a breakaway move. <laughs> yeah, you haven't needed one. <laughs> I don't break away too often. Yeah, well, I I'm, used to be able to in my younger days. I I totally uh, lifted that Tony Amante thing. He was a lefty, right? So he'd right. go in on goal like over to the left side and then fake like he was going to maybe cut over and backhand. Right. But then he'd like spray the guy, oh, yeah. stop, and go then right, spin. Over, right, right over the blocker. Right. And that was my thing. I loved it. He, did, he didn't spin. He was just stopping, like stop come him. back. Oh. But I mean, he could spin too, I'm sure. I like that guy. No, I, I don't have like the give and go. I was always the go and give guy. So, you know, I'll pass my problem. Yeah. To you and you got the watch. Yeah. Yeah, my Sabres, but they're in disarray. Uh, yeah. Have you been watching the playoffs at all? No, I haven't seen any games. I've been keeping an eye on uh, making sure Toronto loses. They're still in it. I think they play today, <sighs> tonight. Can't. I'm not sure. They can't. I think. But you wonderful people in Toronto and you people in Edmonton. Damn it. You don't like Edmonton? No. 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 That I don't care how good they are. I don't what? care how fascinating they are. Like we talked about before, you know that whole lottery thing oh. where four of the last six years they've gotten not a high draft pick the first overall right. draft four of them and i mean that's that's great i'm sure it's not rigged but you know when you're buffalo and you're just like drowning in sorrow every stinking year and that's going on in edmonton well, and they still barely made the playoffs yeah, this year i don't think they've true. been in the playoffs until this year they're sure fun to watch but if anything, though, maybe Buffalo will have those top picks this year. Well, that's what everybody's saying. This will be the year we get that top Buffalo's pick. Buffalo's going to have them. And the draft is Colorado's going to have them. They both were out early. So. But they, they just uh, they fired the head coach and the manager. They've got nine weeks till the draft. Buffalo did. Buffalo did. Right. There's nobody. They don't have a president. They fired some scouts. No GM, so it's no. just a free-for-all team. It's a free-for-all team. The yeah. owner. It's just the owner like standing at the podium going, we expected a lot more. But again, you know, Vegas is coming in. Mm-hmm. They need to, they're going to start picking people off of teams. Yep. Then the draft, they better right. get it together fast. The Kings are kind of in that mode right now. Since they won so many cups, they didn't have high draft picks at the end of the season. And they're starting to be that team now where everybody's kind of aging out. A lot of the stars are getting older. They don't have high draft picks, so they're kind of feeling that now for the last two years. I yeah. think that's what their issue is. And Lombardi paid though. for it. Yeah. But he could end up at Buffalo. He could. Because he's got a connection with USA Hockey and Pagula, right. you know, 
really wants USA Hockey to come to Buffalo. He built like a huge complex right next to the the rink. Oh, and so you know that part of town is just like hockey centric. Wow. So I don't know. I mean, he's like you said, he's got cups and he can run a team. We'll see. Yeah, we will see. So all right. So I mentioned um, that we'd be taking questions today and questions we have. So maybe we'll just dive right in. And and speaking of hockey, this first question comes from my buddy in Buffalo, hmm. Matt De Pasquale, who I haven't met, and it's probably Matt De Pasquale. Right. I just wanted to I wanted to say it with a little savoir faire. Right. Well. Coming from the French Connection. Yeah, thank Ties you. into Buffalo. Thank you. Anyway, Matt, um, we're going to meet someday, bud. I know we've been you know, doing a lot of chatting back and forth. And uh, you ask a very good question. I was wondering what bands you enjoyed touring with or hanging out the most with. And I'm probably not the best person to answer that question because I didn't really hang out with anybody. I just kind of stayed on the bus and you know, tried to practice as much as I could. And I'm not that social. You were that serious guy. Yeah, I was a serious guy. Totally. The other guys had a great time hanging out with the guys in Poison. That was a fun tour. Probably a little more debauched than than the others. But, um, you know, Cinderella, great guys. We hung out a lot yeah. with them, or at least, you know, the, the other guys did quite a bit. I didn't get to know anybody really that well on that tour. But Winger was really cool, really nice guys. I mean, we haven't really had a bad experience with anyone out there. Um, I, did, I didn't enjoy being out with Great White at all. Those guys just seem to have it all wrong for me, and I apologize to the fans of Great White, but... Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we, we had a great experience with, with pretty much everybody we were out with. I know one time uh, we were opening for Bon Jovi, and Cher, that's how old we are, right? Cher <laughs> was on the road with them. and uh, Happy birthday, by the way. Belated birthday. Oh, thank you, yeah. 33, is that what mm-hmm. it is? I'm not, I haven't been counting since 22. I don't blame you. Um, so Cher walks into our dressing room, right? And she, I think Jimmy's in there or something. And he's like, can I help you with something? He like, gets up in her face. <laughs> and she got all pissed off. You didn't know who she was? Like that. No, nah, I don't know if he recognized her or what it was, but there was some sort of confrontation. <laughs> That's funny. But that didn't really transpire into anything bad with those guys. We, we all got along pretty well. And I can't really think of any standout, you know, buddy-buddy moments. Yeah, we played, you know, pretty much everybody at the time. Tesla, they were really nice and everything. Northern California Boys. Yeah. Sacramento. Yeah, I saw them when they played their first gig down here. They were called City Boy back then. They were. I used to play with them in Modesto Uh in Sacramento. They were called City Boys. Yeah, you're right. I'm that old. Anyway, (laughs) thank you, Matt. That was a nice... uh, That was a good question. Nice question. Chad Moore also has one. Will the original Bullet Pigs lineup reunite in the form of either live gigs, reissues, new songs, etc. next year for the 30th anniversary of the self-titled debut? 30 years? Wow. Holy crap. Really? That doesn't even seem... I don't even care anymore. It could be 50 years and it wouldn't be... I mean, after like 10, it doesn't even matter how old it is. And it, I'm so old. <laughs> I was a little confused by Chad's uh, questions originally when he said bullet pigs. I didn't get that at first. But. Yeah. Maybe a normal person would take offense to that, but there is a story behind that. And this goes back to uh, good old Tom Kiefer and, and uh, Cinderella on the Cinderella tour as well. Because I think at one point he came on our bus and, you know, we, we aren't like total troglodytes or anything like that, but 
it was a lived-in bus. Right. And Tom came on, and he's like, oh, my God, you guys are pigs around here. What's up with this bus? Were you? No. Well, I was. was, You know me. Right. I'm as clean and together as you can imagine. Right. So, anyway, (laughs) that stuck. I mean, we just kind of took it and ran with it. And uh, I think our DVD that we released, I think, is called Bullet Pig. So, you know, good humor. I mean, that's kind of how I like to do things anyway. If somebody gets in your face and gives you a hard time, I don't get pissed off and, like, fight back. I just like... You're right, brother. I'm exactly. a pig. Total pig. You're right. So there's two questions. Thank you, Chad. I hope that cleared it up. And I hope you weren't it really did calling for me. us pigs. <laughs> Anthony Justice has a question. And Anthony, love you, brother. Let's stay in touch, man. I would love to hear about the evolution of your playing style from the B-Boys days to the current hot summers. It sounds so different. It very much like you. That's a good question. Yeah, wow. I should have read this in advance because I might have to think about that. You think uh, your playing style has evolved over the years? Oh, it totally has. It totally has, yeah. I think even from the King Cobra days, I was kind of into more of a, if you want to call it, I hate this word, like a shredding thing Mm -hmm. where, like, I'll never forget one of my roommates one time, I'm in my room practicing, he goes, hey, Mick, can you play any faster, dude? You know, because I'm just in there buzzing, Right. right? But that was kind of what I was into at the time. And certainly Bullet Boys is, is different in that regard because it's more of a bluesy mm-hmm. sort of thing. So I, And I also had to be conscientious of not sounding like a certain guy named Van Halen, you know, mm. because of the Warner Brothers thing, right. the Ted thing. And there's another question on here. I there think, were comparisons. There, yeah, there were a lot of comparisons. Between your style and Eddie Van Halen. Well, I, just the band situation, I think, more than anything else. I don't think my style had much to do with it. Right. But at the time, I was fond of doing, you know, more of the hammer-on stuff than I am now. Right. And so I ended up actually deleting a lot of that from my playing. Because it was too similar? I was trying to compensate for the comparisons of, of Ted right. producing the record, being on Warner Brothers, Tareen being basically a David Lee Roth clone. Right. And, you know, we were hearing all that stuff prior. So I did my part in trying to disassociate from any mm-hmm. of that, you know, to little success, clearly, because right. those, you know, comparisons still persist and people still, you know, imagine that we're a second-rate Van Halen. Well, I suppose it's, you know, it's nice to be compared to, you know. <laughs> I'll take it, but yeah. I didn't really play like that. Not so, that your style's the same as his by any means. Yeah, I mean. yeah. And so, you know, from there... I think I didn't really do anything conscientiously. I think my playing sort of morphed into what it is now just by virtue of loving more space, you know, mm-hmm. and, and trying to let the rest of the band sort of be, I don't even know how to say it, just just more space right. rather than you know, I know all these you crazy notes. And, you know, people are playing fast all over the place. And I just I sort of got tired and fatigued with it all. So... You know, I like to think that even though I enjoy doing that as much as anybody, I like to think that my playing has has sort of matured over That's the years. And uh, you know, if you pick that up and listening, then then great. And I hope uh, very soon to have more stuff for you to listen to. But thank you, Anthony. Good that question. was cool. If I didn't answer that, I'm sorry, bud. <laughs> Herb, good old Herb Maori, who I have been seeing more of on Facebook. And thank you, Herb. It's nice to uh, nice to see you hanging out. He says rig rundown, anything new in the works, and of course we just did that, right. you know, recently. So I won't go into great depth. Then Herb and, comes back. Yeah, he comes back and says, "Ah, forget about that." <laughs> yeah, I mean, anymore, it's still just you know straight Marshall and 
and Les Paul or whatever I'm I'm using. New material and guitar music influences on you and your playing. Well, I have so many influences, but it's interesting because as I get older, I start to realize where some of those influences came from that I never really was able to associate with in, in the old days. Ted Nugent, for example, really? had a huge influence on me in terms really? of playing. Yeah, oh yeah. That's that whole the whole feedback thing that I love right. to do, that's all Ted Nugent. I realize that now, you know, because I studied his records, you know, from right. obviously Stranglehold, but I mean I had them all and even back to the Amboy Dukes. I mean, I love that wow. journey to the center of mm-hmm. your mind or something like yep. that. Great freaking tune, man. And so I never <clears throat> fully understood how much Ted influenced me, but you know, even in terms of, of playing, I definitely cop some of his from looks. back in the great white buffalo back, days. Oh yeah, and I love I listen to that tune a lot too. And Cobble Hall could never Detroit. play it right, but yeah. yeah. Um, another guy that I whose record I studied was uh, Alvin Lee way back when. Oh yeah, and I never mentioned him, but you know that guy was a was sick back then, mm-hmm. and uh, I remember just spending hours and hours learning uh, uh, what is it called I'm coming home or something yep. like that I'm going home coming I'm home. going home is it, yeah and uh, you know he was a um, I met him once years ago when I was a teenager there was um, where I worked at as an in the ice rink in Modesto we put on concerts there in the summertime they would cover the floor yeah. the ice floor with uh, cardboard at first but that didn't work out very well <laughs> right. a lot of but scraping. 10 years after I played there and I was working and hanging out in the back and their show just got over, and he came across and I helped him out and sat in the dressing room back there, and they were drinking wine. He's like, thanks, mate. I appreciate it. And I remember that. For, I was so high. And yeah. I'm like, wow. Yeah. I so only just said hi and called me mate. And so. he was nice. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, great, wonderful player. And, uh, you know, I didn't have all his records or anything, but that song was enough for me. I mean, yeah. I, you know, it took me hours to try to learn. He was a down picker. Yeah. Everything was downward. He picked yep. all down. Beautiful tone, too, with that 335. Yeah. Just loved it. Um, all right. Thank you, Herb. Hopefully, again, you know, I'm answering this stuff. We just sort of go on tangents. Some guy named Shane. Yeah, we got a question from uh, from Shane. I would love to hear how you met Shane Tassart, the most dreamiest singer in the whole world. And thank you, Shane Tassart, for that wonderful question. Shane uh, came into our lives when Jimmy and I we're working on material for what eventually became the hot summers you know we just put an ad out for a singer and and weren't really having any success and shane sent a package and uh looked great i mean he looked great sounded great we thought wow yeah right on let's have him in and see what happened and you know the rest is history because we bonded at that time and have become great friends and have been working together ever since such a good singer too he really Uh, is well yeah it's funny because um you might often wonder, like, what does Mick do? He's, why does he always say he's so busy? Well, Friday night, you know, we've been planning for the party that we had yesterday, right. which was a good time. Thank you again for coming. Oh, um, so Friday night, we're getting ready to go see Shane. He's playing in a like a Journey tribute band, right? right? And uh, <clears throat> so we're all excited to go to that. And suddenly my wife goes, it just has to if Easton can work tomorrow. Easton's my five-year-old, and he's got an agent and is making like way more money than me now <laughs> um so yeah they booked his his first modeling gig on the day of the party so you know we're getting ready to go to this thing and now my wife's like oh my god i can't even go to this tonight and we got to do this and this and that and uh so we worked it all out went to see shane sing and that's the original topic he was fucking amazing yeah amazing in fact i told him 
dude, the only reason you're not in Journey right now is because they don't know about you. Right. Because I would think they'd try to fire the guy they have now if they saw you play that set that you just played. He was freaking spot on. He's got a great, great voice. Sounded so good, and he's just made for those songs. I mean, jeez. Fun guy, too. Nice guy. It was funny because Jimmy got pissed off. He goes, like, hey, man, how come you're not like that with our band? How come you don't, you know? Oh, really? (laughs) He's, you know, because he's, it's a different, it's a totally different atmosphere. And he's told me that. He said, like, I feel like with the Journey stuff, I can sing, you know? With your stuff, it's more like screaming and howling. And yeah, that's kind of true. Anyway, continue with this crazy story. I had to take Easton to his photo shoot. My wife stayed home and got ready for this, and, and that's why I walked in five minutes before my own party started. Oh. Well, so We didn't know that. So. Yeah, there you go. See? It's true. Anyway, what did that... That was... Oh, yeah. Thank you, Shane, for that wonderful question about mm-hmm. you. Here's Lisa. I like Lisa Lowry. She's awesome. As an experienced seasoned musician... If you could go back in time, what advice would you give yourself as a young musician? Ooh, that can be many things. Many things. But the first thing that comes to mind is quit now. (laughs) Stop. Get out. Run. No, it's not that bad. But that used to be the joke that we we would tell. Like, what would you tell my young son? He'd quit. Stop playing. Good question. And I. this might be sort of an esoteric answer. But I didn't always listen to guitar players for example keith emerson and i'll try not to cry because he's passed on but he was a huge influence on me and so i would suggest listening to not necessarily your guitar heroes or even guitar music but you know listen i used to love pete fountain when he every time he came on johnny carson i was like Mm -hmm. i would just sit there and be mesmerized by the clarinet Right. Love the clarinet. It's just a beautiful sound, a beautiful instrument, and it was so fluid and flowing. And I'm not saying that my playing ultimately ended up being clarinet-like, but those are the kinds of things I would say. Just listen listen outside the realm of you know your instrument or your style of music. Listen to everything. I mean, I have so much world music that I've never listened to, but right. I meant to at some point, right. you know, and that's the kind of thing that I would say. Just try to expand your influences beyond music even you know try your best to get what's in your head i always battle that you know because virtually nothing i play is what i'm hearing in my head or what i'm trying to get out you know out of your guitar yeah out of my guitar i mean it's just i'm not that it's like you're composing mentally right and all the different pieces aren't necessarily your instrument but so yeah i don't know if sting made this up or or what but it's it's totally apropos you know you don't really finish anything you just abandon it because it's never True. quite yeah. done. But, you know, if that's advice uh, at all, that's what I would say. Just don't limit yourself in any way, shape, or form. Thank you, Lisa. And stay in touch. Jimmy E. DiDomenzio Jr. Mm. He's been around. Hi, Jimmy. Anyway, your question is good. Was everyone present for the recording of Zaza? And it's an interesting question. And it sounds like you may have some inside information because you would presume that you were. everybody's always present for the recording of your record. Right. But aha, that wasn't the case. Because at that point, well, there just happened to be a lot of dissension in our band. There was a disassociation on the producer's part. I mean, the record, ended up, as we were making it, it seemed to be a mess. Because at one point, it was just Mark and I in the studio. Once we got the basic tracks done, I was in there doing my guitar stuff. Mark wasn't even allowed at that point. I was just finishing up the guitars. 
And, uh, you know, Mark would come in, we'd do some backgrounds. Ted wanted to be able to produce the vocal tracks, which as much as he was there, I would have preferred to have that job myself. Was there a point where you guys were coming in separately and recording? Yeah, they, you know, the, yeah, Jimmy. I mean, and, the, and the dissension was that bad? Or? It, yeah, it was bad. That, yeah. And Jimmy and Lonnie weren't even allowed to be there at that point because... The two know, of them together? The two of the, neither one of them. Yeah, once oh, the wow. basic tracks were done, those right. guys... They couldn't come. They couldn't they come, to the couldn't come to the studio. They were done. So. Yeah, they were done. And, what about and, and, final mixing? I mean, maybe I'm getting ahead of the story here, but... You are, but it's okay, and nobody was in final mixing. They really? just wouldn't allow it. You didn't have any say, or... Oh, no, hell no. Wow. And I remember in the first record, I even, I gave him a pretty uh, long list of notes and things, specific things that I wanted to you. Right. hear in the mix, of you course. know, just ignored it all. So that was disappointing, but um, yeah, it actually culminated one time in this, like, really heated band meeting where... Lonnie got in my face and he's like, hey, do you even need us for this record? Do you, you know, we want to be in on this. What's up? I'm like, no, we're just doing backgrounds, you know? And I'm just being honest, but right. it sort of spilled like a Sounds glass like of it was wine all built over the place. Yeah, it was prior just, to that. So. so it was just a nasty situation. And, you know, everybody recognizes now that there were, you know, things that were sort of tearing at us from outside. And, you know, right. none of us were really in an emotional position to be able to deal with that stuff you know in a very mature fashion and i certainly could have handled things differently myself but yeah jimmy uh zaza was was a tough record to make and to be honest with you when i listen to it now it doesn't sound as bad as it felt like at the time you know what i mean it's like there's a lot of people who listen to that record and go wow it's really got some gems on it and there are things on it that i certainly would have done differently but over and all i think it deserved a better fate than it got was that the last studio album for yeah, Bullet Boys? Yeah, that was the last record for right. Bullet Boys. And uh, the song Mine, which I wrote in its entirety, um, was the first single. And they were in the process of, of working that song when the band sort of fell apart and I split. And it all sort of went south after that. But yeah, it was uh, it was a tough record to make. But, you know, I'm certainly uh, proud of it. So when you left, did they try to carry on, continue? With a different guitarist. I mean, I know the band now called the Bullet Boys. Mm-hmm. Like been 30 yeah, mem- Bullet Boy. Th- Bullet Boy, and there's been at least 60 different members in that band from what I could tell. But Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, the Wikipedia page, right? Yeah. Wikipedia Everybody pa- pages. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who hasn't? Yeah, a list of people that haven't played in the band first. <laughs> Save some space. Yeah, the story of me splitting the band was, it's, it's nasty and, and sort of gives me stress in the jaw, even thinking about it. But... Wow. We were at the palace, right? And we're doing a sound check, and Tareen's late, and we're all waiting for him. And then he gets there, and he's got this freaking attitude. And then he starts mouthing off at the sound check about all these bands, Warrant and Skid Row, and how we should be better, and we are better, and those guys suck. Are they on the bill with you? No, no. But no. there's like bands that want to sound check, sitting there waiting, just going, really? So he's just taking a sweet time and taking a sweet time, and you know, berating our, just, you yeah. know, people that are our contemporaries, right. or at least that's what most people think and I'm just standing there going you know what after all the fucking damage control I've had to do from day one of this band and and all that shit that I've had to put up with and all the freaking idiocy that has occurred and and I've had to try to fix I'm done that's it that was the fucking straw that's the last show I went upstairs gathered everybody I said look I'll help promote this record but I'm out of here I'm not working with that guy anymore I'm done were you scheduled to play well, we played, the gig. Sound we played the right. gig and we had a record to support, you know, right. and it was just people were out there working it. And this was so, the yeah, Zaza album. You don't want to pull the carpet out from under the label when they're right. giving you all the well, support you can. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I just let them know that I 
you can make other plans without me because I'm not working with this guy anymore. Wow. Done. And uh, it wasn't long after that that Jimmy followed suit. And so ultimately what happened is we sat down and I was so concerned about just getting away from the situation. I just didn't, I didn't want him around. I don't want any phone calls. Just fucking leave me right. alone. And uh, so we made a document that just said basically we'll take our gear. You take the name. Mm. Bye. And I was totally good with it at the time. Yeah. So in the intervening years, he's had the name, and he's, of course, gone out and been playing oh, yes. my songs as and Bullet doing Boy. his thing as Bullet Boy. And Lonnie was with him for a long time. But uh, that's sort of how that all panned out. And, of course, you know, I've gotten back together with him a few times here and there, but ultimately the same stuff happens. Yeah. You know, it's like fighting and yeah. screaming and somebody's tearing up their money. And it's just like, holy crap, really? Yeah. It still goes on. These are adults. Right. Uh, no, thank you. That's, that even sounds tiring. Sounds exhausting. Oh, dude, you have you know? no idea. Oh, I can imagine. No, no idea. I mean, I went at one point. I remember going to my manager and going, "Dude, please don't fuck me because of this. Right. I'm not doing anything here, right? right? You know, it was weird. But anyway, you know, I, I love Jimmy and I love Lonnie, and uh, you know, we're we're working together now, and that's all water mm-hmm. under the bridge, but. You know, it's stuff that I carry around. When people talk about Bullet Boys and, and like, you know, they, they see my reaction and some of the things that I say, it's like, well, I don't understand, dude. That's like the dream come true. And anybody would cut off their right arm. Right. You know, and that's true. But <clears throat> when you have the expectation that, and you've worked so hard to get there, and it's such a colossal mess most of the time, you know, it just it just saps yeah, all the freaking your ass soul year out after it. year, day after day, and still dealing with the same yeah, crap. It works but my yet whole you're life. still invested with your passion and it's my baby. Yeah. Bullet Boys is my baby. It's your band. Yeah, fuck yeah, it was. And yeah. I, you know, I worked really hard and freaking shed a lot of tears and blood just and everything a nightmare. else. Nightmare. Wow. But but like you said, there's water under the bridge now. And yeah, yeah, and it's all good. And, and we're on the you, Jimmy, and Lonnie, and Shane. Yeah, we're on the path to having yeah. fun with it now. And that's, that's why it's so vibrant and cool now to play in Lies, Deceit, and Treachery with Jimmy and Lonnie and Shane. Because nobody's got an attitude. Right. Nobody's freaking pulling out butter knives and trying right. to stab people. Nobody's, you know, doing any of that shit now. Everybody's cool and everybody's nice and Shane's a freaking dream. You can just tell. And it's, around you guys. Yeah. And it's fun it's, now. It's friendly. It's like yeah. a family atmosphere. Totally. As it should be. So. As it should have been way back when. Yeah. But there, there's just no chance of that happening. No. Egos. But and... as we've said before, you know, for, and I don't know if we have a question here, but I know it will be asked or has been. Is there a chance that a reunion will ever happen? And I can adamantly say right now, no, there is no chance. We got together at NAM January this year. And, uh, you know, I met with Tareen personally, looked at him square in the face and said, are you ready to do this or not? No, hemming and hawing. No, no, fuck it then. Screw it. We're not doing it. I'm gone. You know, and Jimmy, God bless him. He's like, no, hold on, Mick. Let's check it out. And I said, no, Jimmy, you know, that's the answer. He's yeah. hemming and hawing. He has no intention of doing what needs to be done to keep Sounds this like same. it'd be the same shit again anyway. It'd be the same shit Just again anyway. Over, and, it, and that's what I told you know. the person who was trying to put it together. I said, look, you have no idea what you're getting into. This is way over your head. And it's only a matter of time till it all goes south. And so for your sake and everybody's sake here, and our time, listen to me yeah. and do what I'm telling you needs to be done and make sure it gets done or it's going to screw you. Not yeah. just me and everybody else, but you too. But, you know, logic has never really had a place yeah. in this larger conversation. So, hmm. Um, so anyway, yeah, I don't know. I think Dale asked that question. Yeah, there's no chance, Dale. It's uh, it's said and done, and, and if you want to 
you know, go see Mark. That's great. I mean, I'm sure the people that go and see him have a wonderful time and it's all uh, it's all good there. But, you know, if you want to see the real band, come see Lies, Deceit, and Treachery. There you go. All right. Who else? What's Donnie, next? Donnie Moses has a question. Donnie Moses? Hey, Donnie. We go way back. I know. Oklahoma, I think. Right, brother? Anyway, uh, what is the song Ode to Joe about? Stevie had the lips and Joey had the licks. Well, um, that song is really about paying homage to your influences and the people that put you basically where you are, which in my case probably goes back to Howlin' Wolf and Muddy Waters wow. and all the guys that influenced Wolf. the Stones. Because I'm a Stones fan yeah. you know, from way back. And that's where those guys got all yeah. their bread and butter. I mean, that's the stuff that when they said Chuck Berry, by the time their stuff got to me, I don't, I'm not aware of those guys right. as but a that's kid. who their influence but was. That's, now, your influence is right. them. Right. Yeah. And so I've, I've never wanted to overlook the fact that those, even going back to the old field haulers, you know, mm-hmm. those, I mean, I've mm-hmm. got I've got CDs of, I uh, can't think of his name right now. But, you know, I mean, I, I wanted to go back and see where, what I'm doing now came from originally, and that's gotcha. that's really it. So, so Ode to Joe is about that. Obviously, um, there's a verse there that refers to uh, Aerosmith. You know, a huge influence on me. I just love those guys and always will. But I'll I'll never forget we were in uh, we were in this apartment complex doing the first record in Burbank called the Oakwood, and the other guys all lived in town. I, I lived you know, there. Yeah, oh, wow. yeah. <laughs> see again, Rick James lived there. Oh, I hope I didn't have his room. No, he died there. Oh, no. Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt the story. Anyway, um, the other guys all lived in town, so they were off doing something with their families, and I'm sitting there all alone in the Oakwood. And uh, so I decided, okay, i got to finish Ode to Joe. i got to get this song written. And I'm sitting by the pool, and I'm thinking, Guns N' Roses were huge at that time. They were just skyrocketing, right? And I'm thinking about Slash and how he plays and, and sort of where those guys got their trip from. And that's what was going through my mind when I wrote the lyrics to Ode to Joe. And, uh, you know, I think it's pretty self-explanatory from there. But uh, I, I hope that, you know, it uh, comes across that I'm very grateful to all the people that worked so hard to get their music out. And it just uh, makes me proud to know that, you know, that I've, I'm aware of, you know, yeah. some of the people that, you know, influenced and shaped it. you and yeah, yeah, as a musician. Exactly. Rolling Stones included, you know. Yeah. For me it was the Raspberries. I'm an older gentleman, so Yeah. I like their hooky familiar pop. familiar with those guys too. Very, very Catchy. cool harmonies. Yeah. And they look cool. Yeah. Well I, I never saw him or did you see actually see him live? I never saw him live. No. My old buddy Steven Buvaltz has a question. Do you still have the Carvin guitar? And was it used on any of your recordings? Well, the answer is yes. I still have my Carvin DC-150. It was actually the first new guitar I ever got. I think my mom bought it for me when I went to college. And um, as I've talked about before, I think on our gear scratch cast, you know, it was cool double cutaway. It kind of reminded me of a, like a Les Paul special. But it had coil taps and, and it, you know, 24 frets, which is kind of new at the time. Mm. And... Uh, I still I love that guitar. I haven't played it in a while. It's been painted a few times. It's kind of jacked up by now. But uh, yeah, I mean, that was that was my baby for many, many years. And uh, I think the last time I played it was probably in King Cobra. I think I used it on 
ready to strike because I think we tuned down for that tune and then tuned up for all the others. So I think I had that in a special tuning situation. But yeah, Stephen, thank you for your question. I still have my carbon, buddy. Well, we know what mixed band history is, but we don't know much about Craig. Maybe we could get some band bios from him. Oh, boy. There's a good question from yeah. Dale. From Dale. Well, Dale, um, I started playing the band in Modesto, California, Northern California. Um, stayed there throughout the early 80s and moved to Hollywood in 1983. Yeah. And um, one of my friends, musicians that I first met here was a gentleman named Billy McCarthy, or Billy Dior, as he went by in the malls. And we were roommates, and we started playing together off and on. Um, played with CeCe DeVille for a while with Billy. Um, that never really panned out. And then with um, Lenny and Kingdom Come, it was right between uh, Stone Fury and Kingdom Come. Went there for a while, and a few other people, but... Um, I stopped playing in 1988 and moved back to Northern California and did not pick up a bass again until five years ago at my sister's 50th birthday party. And now I'm doing it all over again. So that's kind of a basic rundown. I mean, there's quite a bit more involved in that and all the various and different bands throughout the early 80s sunset Hollywood days. But Well, talk about your time with CeCe's band. CeCe, that was real short-lived. We just did some recordings. Um, we did like three or four recordings. We rehearsed off and on, but <clears throat> that was right at the time CeCe was being courted by Poison. And oh, so this was early on, This was early. This is pre-Poison. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. For whatever reason, I thought it was like, like I mentioned to you before, was that Needle Park? Which no, was no, sort no. Of this his... was pre-Poison. Back oh, when right it was um, Bruce. Yeah, And okay. then it was Cecil, yeah. and then it morphed into CeCe. So. And who was the drummer? Anyone? Would... Billy. No. Billy was playing Billy drums. Billy was playing yeah. drums. Billy gotcha. played drums, yeah. yeah. I don't know why I missed And that. I can't recall who the other folks were in it. It was such a blur back then. You know, all the fun that um, Hollywood had to offer back in those days. And you guys were doing, like, he's a pop guy, right? Yeah. So you guys were doing, Completely like, shorts. Completely all pop, yeah. yeah. And there's some interesting backstories on that era with Billy and CeCe and myself and songs that were taken from yeah. those recordings to Poison at the right. time. So Yeah, it's funny how certain yeah. things insert themselves into your mind and then right. regurgitate later as right. an original idea. But I'm happy to be playing again, you know, back out and recording with you from time to time. Yeah, we're doing a little thing where we, uh, or at least we were, it's been too busy lately to even think about that again, but we've got some stuff and in fact, the song you heard at the beginning of the Scratch Cast is something that, that we worked on and I wanted to uh, thank Lee Patelli for playing on that. I haven't seen you in a while, bud. That's uh, something that I've been wanting to catch up on too. I wasn't. I was a little yeah. confused about the timeline. So yeah, that's, that's when cool. it was. Early days. Early. How early old are you 80s. at that point? Twenty-four, twenty-five. Wow. Young buck. Yeah. Right that's when um, music was kind of different, at least for me back in that era, because it was all the kind of a shi- everything was shiny and glam and yeah. Um, musicianship didn't really play a part yeah a lot i mean it did but it didn't image had a lot to do with mm-hmm. your success back in you know the sunset days it certainly helped yeah. yeah so i mean you couldn't get arrested if you were you know no i mean you had to have that image played like a champ yeah. you know i mean yeah. how many of those guys are out there i mean that's that's the thing with me too i always i just wanted to be a rock musician the whole right you know as soon as you said rock star i'm not talking to you anymore because that's that's david bowie that's like another no oh, level yeah. and if you're walking on the sunset strip calling yourself a rock star i've got you pegged already (laughs) so i didn't i never wanted to be in that class i just wanted to be a good player and you know i wanted to look good and yeah 
I was a pretty hot chick back in the day, too. <laughs> but, uh, you know, nope. it was fun. I had a good time. We all wore the guy liner and hardware. and Oh, yeah. Yeah. Girls, kind of pulling girls' blouses, pulling earrings out yeah. of my hair at the end of every gig. Right, just sitting here for an hour and finally getting frustrated and freaking ripping. it I can out. never button up the girls' blouses because the buttons on the opposite side. <laughs> but they were the only place you could go to find cool. Uh, I wore my sister's tiger all the print time. type shirts and Hell stuff yeah. like that. So you know, yeah. you, that's what you need. You need that and leather pants mm-hmm. and your crayons or capizio shoes, and you were set. I've yeah. had a bare midriff or two in my life, <laughs> and a mullet too. Yeah, I but think, I'm not uh, going to share those pictures right away. No. I think I already have. All right, well, let's uh, grab another brewski, take a little break, and uh, come right back with some more Scratchcast. You're experiencing Scratchcast with Mick Sueda and Craig Pepe. Look for Scratchcast on SoundCloud and our Facebook pages and tell your friends. Welcome back to the Scratchcast. Mick Sueda here with Craig Pepe. We're back. Yeah, we are. We had a good little break there. Oh, we didn't even talk about what we're drinking today. No. I'm on Ballast Point Sculpin. Beautiful, uh, beautiful IPA. Is it? Oh, God. It's, yeah. And, and you can tell because it's. I don't know anything about 14 that. I don't know anything about IPAs in general too much. Yeah, you're on Modelo I am. Patrol right now. Yeah. Uh, stole one of your wife's beer. Yeah. In fact, Anthony Justice was saying, you know, how about a section. Uh, with exclusive IPA information, and uh, you know, I'm I'm the guy that just wants to try everything. Every time I see a new one, I just get it and just check it out. And pretty much after a while, they just all taste the same. I'm a very much a simpleton when it comes to beer and right. tasting, but I know when there's a strong, you know, opening, and I know when there's a strong finish, and that's kind of what I go for. I mean, I, yeah. how many times have you had a beer where you you know you're drinking it and it's all good, and then you swallow it and you're like, oh man, mm. what just happened? Yeah, that does occur. That's why I stick to the same beers. Yeah, something you I'm, can trust. Yeah, it's either a Coors Original, the Banquet beer, which you should check out the uh, brewery when you're there. We will have played in Golden, Colorado, with Eliza Seat and Treachery, and Craig suggesting we go to the the Coors plant. We yeah. might very well do that. There's a story. Uh, this might not be a very interesting story, but I didn't really drink that much when I was younger in my twenties. I was kind of really? a coffee guy. Yeah, I never really drank beer i mean i'd have one i guess occasionally or go to a party and certainly when i was a teenager you know i drank to excess on a number of occasions but that was always whatever was there you know whether it was right wine or boone's farm or whatever (laughs) it was you know i mean dating myself again but you know i am 57 (sighs) anyway um at one point when i was like 28 years old i'm thinking okay i can't Fucking stay up till three and four o'clock in the morning every night. I can't do it. I got to get up. I got to start making something in my day. I'm gonna go get a six pack, and then I'll you know just right. drink a few and maybe get tired. And that evolved into what I am pack. today. Yeah. <laughs> no, I didn't really do it too much, you know, to go over. But I mean, I you know, I then got into you know, I drank Coors for a long time, and it was fine with me because yeah. I didn't know the difference, you know. And back then, there weren't all these great microbrews that there are today. Right. But that eventually evolved into uh, Sam Adams. That was like, oh. my buddies used to say, you're drinking food beer, man. So I was on Sam Adams for a long time, and I 
I don't even think I can drink it anymore. Yeah. I saw, in fact, I saw some cherry wheat the other day, mm. and I almost got it because I love their cherry wheat. But we used to, uh, I got into pumpkin beer for a long time. Did was, you? Yeah. I see that. I'm, I'm kind of like the sissy During fruity the fall. guy. When, yeah. <laughs> when, you know, when you see an interesting beer. See, I can't do it. I just, you know, I just stick to what I know, what I like. And with Coors, it's either you love it or you hate it. It's yeah. one of those types of beers. And I've always drank it for years. But after a while, though, I, I must say, it feels like I'm shoving them in. You know, it's just yeah. too, too much. Too, where too where I grew up in western New York, Coors had a mythological status. Like, you didn't get it. You couldn't get oh, right. Coors back east. I mean, you could get Rolling Rock. Mm-hmm. You could get Paps and Strohs and all the stuff you drink when you're a kid or if you're really old like me. And uh, But, you know, you had to go to Colorado to get Somebody Coors. To smuggle it in. Yeah, yeah, or someone to bring it back. Right. And literally, you know, so when someone went to Colorado in those days to do construction work, you're like, oh, God, please bring back a six-pack of Coors. I just want to taste it. It must be amazing. It's just I'm freaking, surprised you're not a Labatt's beer. Guy. Yeah, I drink Silver Bats. As close as you were to uh, the Canadian border. Well, back then, that was like a heavy beer. Yeah. That was like drinking Lowenbrow. Right. You know, like, oh my God, this is a little too much for me. The Bats and Black Label. Black Label? Carling Black Label? Yeah. Wow, we are old. We are. <laughs> well, we didn't talk that's about the, hams or Oli. That's the kind of thing you you Google. <laughs> right. Like, I'm like, Carling Black Oh, there it is. I remember <laughs> that. Oh my God. All right. So well, we have more questions here? Yeah, we do have some more questions. Let's uh, let's go with Wade Lucas. Hi, Wade. How are you, my brother? What was your most memorable gig and why? Well, for me, and you can answer this too, I'm sure, but like most things in life, you don't remember all the wonderful people you meet. Mm-hmm. You remember that dickhead, right? <laughs> that douchebag that just freaking marred the whole thing. And that's kind of what gigs are like to me like you know we've had more good ones and bad ones so the first thing that comes to mind for me is we're playing at the palace and i've got my my four half stacks wow and that's how i lie i just like kind of i don't want it in my face like i'm mm-hmm. not that guy that wants blaring my right. guitar and in fact if it's in my monitor i'm like you know please take it out but uh anyway we're starting the show and I, I i can't remember if there's a curtain at the palace or not but we had this great opening plan we're standing up on the on the things and the, the song opens and somehow I think I know, I don't know if I knew at the time, but David Gilmore, one of my heroes, was mm. there, right? Oh, wow. And so I'm standing on the half stacks and the curtains are opening and the intro's going and it's time to freaking rock and I jump off the cabinets and I come down right on the beat and there's no guitar. Oh. Nothing. It's cut oh, out. Oh, shit. And now it's just bass and drums, and I'm standing there looking at my tech going like, oh, dude, really? That could have been so beautiful. Oh, man. And so, you know, we fixed it, I guess, eventually, but the moment's gone. Right. And that's, Wade, I'm sorry to say, that's like what you remember, <laughs> you know? Or all the time those, all the times those uh, silly transmitter, you know, where you go oh, yeah. wireless. Mm-hmm. I was never a fan. I just like chords. Right. Just, yeah. I'm old. I like cords. Cut out. Yeah. yeah, and so you know they try to sell me. Yeah, hey, just put the pack on, put it on. It's great. You can run around. Fuck those things went out. Yeah, almost regularly. I had one that I can remember. It was kind of cool that you could march anywhere you wanted to go within certain range, but I didn't trust it as well. And I think sonically, you know, there's there's a big difference. I mean, when you're I don't know delays. I'm just some. 
technology is a great thing, but you don't have to use it all. You know, it's no, not all right. right for you. You know, so and that's that's kind of been my thing. Like I'm. I'm good with all my old stuff and everybody goes to NAM and they want to get all this free stuff uh, and like look at the newest thing it's like I've got my old stuff man I don't want any of that just go on YouTube pull up a Humble Pie video of them playing live thank you and it's drums MPEG amps yeah. chords and instruments and to give Period. to give it's credit else. where it's due you know listen to Kiss Records yeah. those guys just plugged straight into Marshalls right. and it's, it's not like all this saturation and sustain for days you right. know it's just freaking straight into a Marshall and it's probably louder in hell and yeah. it sounds freaking great or hotter huh. yeah thank yeah. you David B. Hope has a great question and we talked about it a little bit earlier but uh, David asks, do you think the comparison to you and classic Van Halen was cool, fair, or did it bug you? Hmm. I, I like that question because most of the time I, if I'm on a forum or somebody's talking to me and I'm, or I'm reading a review or whatever, I just have to sit there and take it, right? Like, right. like yeah, they, they were like Van Halen light. No, you know, I've heard it all, man. But is a comparison fair? Yes, of course it is. We were on Warner Brothers. We had a singer that basically aped. David Lee Roth, you know, four-piece band, Ted Templeman produced. I mean, yeah, if you want to add up all those numbers, you know, you're going to get your answer there. Was it cool? Not necessarily, because I don't think people who made that comparison were listening. They weren't listening Mm -hmm. to me as a guitar player, and they weren't listening to the songs, which I don't think were Van Halen-esque. So it was unfair in many ways to me, because I don't think the people who made that comparison were making it with any sort of information or right. you know an education and what they were talking about i think they were just taking you know they were looking at the cover of the book and right. judging it right um did it bug me not really because if you are in this business and that's another thing i would say lisa to somebody who was younger you know if you don't have a thick skin yeah do something else yeah because the whole point is you're going to write your song and you're going to work on it for 40 hours or four days or a week or whatever it takes and you're going to play it for someone and they're going to go, yeah, that's cool. You got anything else? And that's just the right. way this business yeah. works. You know, I mean, you're not always going to get the lavish praise that you might think you deserve and if you rely on that, you're going to be in yeah. for a severe heartbreak. And once you do put it out there, well, okay, well, what have you done today? What What do you have now? Totally. <clears throat> I hear about Smooth Up Indie all the time, but it's not doing anything for me right now. I right. got to keep moving forward, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, thank you, David. That was a cool question. I'm glad I got to answer that because I normally don't I don't get to. My cousin, my beautiful cousin, Joseph Sueda. I was wondering about I that. I love you, bud. Can you muster another night of drinking Jenny Cream Ale or the memory's too shitty? <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Joey. Um, yeah, that's another, that's another local beer, you know, that is legendary in uh, western New York. And I've, I've had many a Jenny Cream Ale. And I'll tell you what, Joey, if I'm drinking them with you, man, they're like the finest IPA there is. So let's hope that happens pretty soon. Is Joey the uh, cousin that took you to the odd? Took me to the odd. One night to see the, yeah. We went, and I think he's taken me a couple of times. But when I I would go back and and he'd get some tickets with my Uncle Rip. And uh, I'll never forget the time I told you, I think. We get in the car, right? And we're going out to Buffalo. It's just like an hour drive. And if it's in the wintertime... There could be snow banks. There could be, you know, Ugh, you could be behind yeah. a snow plow for most of the ride. I mean, anything can happen. But we get in the car, and the next thing you know, I hear like, 
something ripping open and I look over and there's a freaking 30 pack of Jenny cream ale and we're like drinking it it's for the ride in the car for the ride <laughs> totally and there's like you know so there's five guys in a car with freaking uh, blizzard conditions just, drinking Jenny cream ale and we get to the odd and it was freaking best time of my life it was yeah, awesome fun except fun. I think they got beat by the Habs oh fuckers that yeah thank you Joey that's a great question too and I'm looking forward to drinking a Jenny cream ale with you hmm. So then we have another question. Um, could you mention your top five favorite guitar players and bass players? Records that influenced and concerts that influenced. Yeah, we can talk about that for sure. Mm, yeah. What you got? Well, for me, there's John Paul Jones, of course, from Led Zeppelin. Almost top um, of the list. Tom Peterson of Cheap Trick. Yeah. I've always been a fan of his. In fact, in 1982... When I first saw him play a 12-string, I went out and bought a Kramer 8-string because you just couldn't find... I mean, 12-strings weren't available. Just it had to, to be custom-made for him back then. I huh? would think so, yeah. But um, So Kramer started putting out uh, an 8-string. The thing was a brick and heavy as hell, but it sounded great. Yeah. So he was a big influence. So Tom Peterson was another one. Nice. Giddy Lee, of course. I always liked the cat from uh, Stone Temple. I think his, yeah. uh, his, his last name's DeLeo, but his brother's Robert, right? And his... I forget his name, but hmm. it's a funny story because when we were doing our first record and I got a budget to go get some gear, I went to Boogie because right. like we've talked about before, I like I like that whole Boogie thing and I'm thinking to myself, okay, if I can buy my Marshalls and my Boogies. And so I went to the Boogie store and he was working there. Really? The bass player for SDP wow. before they got signed. And really nice cat. And we had a, you know, a great uh, conversation. I ended up buying a bunch of Boogie crap that I didn't use. But he's a wonderful player. Yeah, kind of love. I love his instincts and and what he contributes to a song is, is exactly the way I hear things. Right. You know? I mean, when he plays right. something, it's like, yeah, that's how it should be. Yeah. In fact, but, I remember being not to cut you off. I'm sorry. We were in, uh, we were in Arizona at a hockey tournament with my beloved Tornadoes. Hey, Mikey mm -hmm. Stewart, and uh, we're in a car going to some restaurant or some club or something, and Vaseline comes on for the first time. And I just remember sitting in the back seat, and I was just like, shut up, shut up! And I listened to the song all the way through, and it first came out. I was like, oh my God, that was freaking cathartic, you know? Right. And it just was like, oh, that wow. was beautiful. What a great song. <laughs> so thanks to that, for that, you guys. That was good. Older bass players, real quickly, if I can say, uh, influence at least, were um, Pete Way of UFO. Mm -hmm. Always liked his style. And then Over and Watts, both Thunderbird players. Um, I remember you talking about him before. Days. Yeah. I can't uh, I can't disagree with any of those choices, especially guys like Eddie Lee. What kind of a talent do you have to have to play and sing like that? Play at the same time and some of the the stuff he does on his fretboard and carry vocals and keyboard parts coming up. Yeah, so he's got his feet going, he's got his throat going, he's got it's his like, fingers going. Yeah, I know it's crazy, and I have a very vivid experience with Getty and his bandmates. We went out to see them on their farewell to King's tour at the Niagara Falls Convention Center. I don't know how I did this. I wish I could do it every night. But I timed this buzz so perfectly. <laughs> so perfectly. I mean, I've, it's just one of those memories that will never fade. We got, we got there kind of early because I wanted to see Max Webster. They were oh, opening. Yeah. One of my favorite bands of all time. So we go to the front row and there's nobody there. And we sit and watch Max, and he's got his two deluxes and his 335 and his big balloon pants. And I'm just going like, oh, my God, this is great. <laughs> and then the people whose seats they are come. Oh. So we have to get up and leave and go all the way back. 
you know, because by that time the rest of it's filled up. So right. now we're in the back. But then Rush comes out and they start playing Farewell to Kings. And something kicked in because I was practically in tears. I mean, I love that record. In fact, I took that record to a party when I was a kid and put it on at this party where they play, you know, they want to hear Almond Brothers and ZZ mm-hmm. Top. And I put that on and people are going like, what the hell? Get, who put this on? And they rip it right, off. Right, they like, didn't understand it. it. <laughs> it's like, oh, fuck, that's my oh. record. Anyway, I watched this concert and I was just mesmerized the whole time. Those guys were so fucking good and so amazing. And those songs are so brilliant. Mm-hmm. Never forget it. I'm going to tear up. I like Rush. Um, but as far as guitar players, for me, like, you know, the aforementioned Kim Mitchell and Max Webster, he was a big influence on me. And he was himself influenced by Zappa, it turned out. I, I bought their book. And when I was a kid, I didn't realize that Zappa, Max Webster, listening to it in retrospect, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Oh. I talked about Ted Nugent earlier. Billy Gibbons was always a big influence. Some of the other guys that I never would have guessed influenced me, you know, like Alvin Lee and... I don't know. Beyond that, I think I just kind of developed, you know, something that I considered my own. Did you ever listen to Bill Nelson, Bebop Deluxe? Yeah, Bebop Deluxe a lot. Yeah, yeah. A- I didn't, I didn't study his records as much as I just mm-hmm. appreciated them yeah. and his playing for the time. And again, another three thirty-five guy. Yeah. You know, if you played a three thirty-five for me, yeah. I was like, fuck yeah. In fact, Larry Car- Larry Carlton, you know, was right. another guy that, again, I didn't study him, but I just I loved the tone. Yeah. He, I saw Bebop Deluxe at the old Winterland in San Francisco. Nice. It was Bebop Deluxe and Rush was on the, I think UFO was the <sighs> was the main act in Bebop, yeah. Rush supporting, and then UFO. Wow, what a bill. So, but I oh, remember Bebop out. Deluxe just stood out. His guitar playing was just like, I was blown away. Oh, like, yeah. What the fuck yeah. is this? And now that you mention it, Michael Schenker, obviously was yeah. a huge influence yeah. on me, and I'll never, I'll never understand how he gets that tone. I know that you know he's like a straight Marshall guy, but when you listen to it, it's got it's got just enough compression and saturation mm-hmm. where you can tell. I think he's using a pedal, and I remember the wah. He uses the wah. He used a wah too, and he would just and put it just on put it at down. a certain frequency yeah, exactly. and leave it. Um, but I don't notice that as much as <clears> I I'm listening to the articulation and and right. you know the sustain that he's getting, and. Um, as, he, as you know, I've got these plexis and all the marshals I could want, and I'm just plugging straight in, and I'm thinking, something's missing, something's right. not right. So one day, I just cleaned it up, and I put on a freaking distortion overdrive pedal. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's what I'm hearing. So I'm not sure what mm. Michael uses. He might have said something about it in an interview, yeah. or he might be very upfront about it. I don't know. Well, we'll need to get him in. Yeah, I'd like to. <laughs> I would like to. What size of a room was that? Because I think we played... It, was, it wasn't huge. It was an old ice rink. That's why it was an ice rink. Okay. Yeah. I'm trying to think of what... We played Bill... What is the guy's name up there? Bill, Bill Graham. Bill Graham. Did he have a room that was something called something else? Because I know we played there. Well, he had... He promoted a lot of shows. He had the Fillmore. Maybe that's where we played. The Fillmore. That was more like yeah. a big club, right? And, yeah. And he also did those huge outdoor Day on the Greens. Yeah. I'm thinking of the club we played. I think it was a Fillmore. Because he had all those... You know, iconic the psychedelic posters, posters from the '60s yeah. type. Yeah, they were all over this yeah. place. That had to, and be that was a fun gig. That was a big room. Yeah, we had a good time there. Well, I think that pretty much sums it up. Anything, uh, anything else you want to share? Mm, no, I think I'm good. Just missed you on the ice this morning. That's yeah, it. I've got to. I think I have to get on a team. I think it's the only way I'm going to get my legs back. My legs are like, they're like licorice sticks. Yeah. 
Yes, probably more flexible though. Just come out in the mornings with us. I know yeah. Sundays are hard, but and I appreciate your persistence, and <laughs> I will, I will come. We got out. him out there a few times, so yeah, we'll keep working. We'll keep working on it, and I'll, uh, I promise, I'll try, and I'll come out, and I'll. Uh, I'll give you my Tony Amante. But see, that that's the thing. I'll never get a break <laughs> that's right what now. That's I want to see. And I want to hear that clink. <laughs> <laughs> Unless I set it up with the other guys. Like, please, just one breakaway, please. <laughs> I'll never get him again. I'm that old and that slow. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Another scratch cast in the box here. Thank you, Craig, for coming out. My pleasure. Thank you. And uh, we'll see you next time on the scratch cast. This is Mick Sueda saying, see ya. Find us at iTunes, SoundCloud, and on Facebook. Facebook.